where the words wrong. I'm just asking if the words are right. We're good. That's all. I'm just asking. Just asking. I have I have a bad track 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 record. So. So far. Now we're gonna do the next one. CCLI. Proclaim. The thing that you did for Ben, can you do that for me too? One. He's number mix one. Yeah. He's the boss. He gets mix one. I was the first box that was put here. He put it together, so he put himself as box one. Seven years ago, he made himself box one, even though when he was over here, he was box one. Oh, that's right. That's why I messed it up. So left to right. One, two, three, four. <laughs> and now it's easiest, because I know what. Erica. So, Erica, I remember your name, but I was trying to play on the key. Singers, but I have plenty of him, <laughs> but I don't want him, but I want, yeah, Eric. I have this lady singing. Splendor of a king. Oh, wrong key. Okay, so I have to hit those two buttons at the same time. I didn't even realize that. I have to hit those two buttons every single time I transpose, which is, you know, every song. So I'm hitting these. I'm hitting these every single time we start a new song. I'm hitting those two together. So if I don't hit them right, I'm going to be. Or I'm going to be. Six years we've had that piano. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome.
Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our
check. Hello, everybody. I'm checking something. So I'm going to check the microphone, make sure it is super cool. the part where it's uh, before we switch into that chorus too there should be two bridges right or, or should let's just, verse one let's just start together verse one chorus one verse two chorus one bridge twice then chorus two verse three chorus two Bridge, chorus one twice. See Eric back there, Mike. Thanks. Should get into a little bit more, right? Good to have the Doms here. It's good for everybody to be here, but it's it's good to see the Doms visiting us, and it's just it's fantastic. Your beard is fantastic as well. Um, so good for you. Good for good for all of you. Well, I hope I remember how to do this. I, it's kind of been off and on the past few weeks. Um, I've been uh, under the weather here and there. Hopefully today we'll get back into the swing of things. Uh, I don't have a lunch uh, to give you, to pack for you today, but uh, last week, 
Ben did, and, and I certainly appreciate what he had to say. Uh, I think it was important. It's important to be reminded of those things. It's incredible gifts that God gives us. And, and sometimes it's difficult for us uh, to, to know, to locate, to realize some of the wonderful blessings that God gives to us in our lives and builds us uh, to bring him honor and bring him glory. In fact, that's what we're called. We're called God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. And, and, and we are built to do wonderful things that glorify God. And so if we don't do things that glorify God, I think we're missing out on our mission. We're missing our purpose in life. The purpose in life is to use your life to glorify your creator. There you go. That's the, that's the purpose of life. That's the reason that we're alive. We've accomplished a lot already. It's not even 10 o'clock. And we know that that's why we exist. That that's why you and I exist. And so I certainly appreciate Ben reminding us of that. We're going to continue with talking about and, and, and being led through the minor prophets. Today we're going to talk about Micah. We talked about Micah a couple weeks ago. We're going to continue in Micah today. And my hope also, not only do we learn things about ourselves through some of these prophets, but that we remember to trust the words of God in our lives today. On top of that, I hope we have a better picture of who these prophets were, where they were, when they were. I don't know about you, but when I have a better picture of everything that's happening, I understand scripture better. One of my uh, professors, Professor Mack, uh, for about 10 weeks, he was teaching Old Testament history, and, and once or twice a week for 10 weeks, we would, we would color. That's what we did. It was, a, it was a coloring session for about an hour in class. And everybody kind of rolled their eyes at this. He says, I want you to color maps. That's one of the things we're doing. And, and um, he said, I know you're rolling your eyes at this. He said, but trust me, this is going to be one of the most valuable things that you do. And, and sure enough, it's true. Uh, today, nowadays, I can picture all of these different things that are happening in my head. I can picture where they are, when they are, uh, the movement of people. The different people we read about in scripture, the different prophets we read about, and I just picture it in my head. And it makes everything a little bit easier to understand throughout all of scripture. So I hope that we have a better understanding of who these prophets were, when they were prophesying, and where they were prophesying as we go through, uh, go through these lessons. <clears throat> uh, because I said so, right? You ever get that one when you were younger? I got that all the time because I said so because I said now really what that means is this is fun this is fun this is fun explaining this with your parents sitting here this is what it means what it means is I'm not going to explain this because even if I did you wouldn't grasp it anyway you wouldn't understand Either we don't have the time, or you don't have the maturity, or it's just not right for you to know and to be thinking about these types of things. And we get to this place where we say, look, because I said so. That's, that's closely related, I think, to, I'll tell you when you're older, right? That's closely related to that, because I said so. There are times in Scripture where God says, because I said so. Because I said so. There are other times in Scripture that God says, look, it's, it's not good for you to know right now. 
It's not appropriate for you to know. In fact, we see this a lot when the disciples ask Jesus about the, the end of the age, right? The, the restoration and the second coming of Jesus. He tells them multiple times, look, it's not for you to know this. It's for me to know this, says Jesus, but it's not for you to know this. In fact, the first time they ask, he says it's not for anybody to know. The Father knows, but that's it. Nobody else does. And then after the resurrection, he's asked again by his disciples. This time he says it's not for you to know. In other words, I know, but it's not for you to know. And so we see this a couple of times, multiple times throughout Scripture. But there are other places in Scripture where it's exactly the opposite. Where God says, look, I am revealing to you exactly what's going to happen. Because a servant does not know his master's business, but a friend, a family member, does know his master's business. Today, we get to see a revelation of the master's business that he gives to Judah, even while he is disciplining Judah, all at the same time. Remember, there's there's kind of two kingdoms right now. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, those are ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, those are two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Uh, But it's all, we talk about the Israelites, we're talking about all of them. Right now, Micah is talking to Judah Next week, we're going to take a little bit of break, of a break from disciplining Israel. Uh, We're going to look at Obadiah prophesying against a different nation, uh, a nation that picks on God's kids and hurts God's kids. Uh, We're going to see Obadiah talk to a completely different nation. But today, we see the master's business in Micah 4 and 5. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. This is an incredible gift that we have to be to walk through your word, to see your word come true time after time and throughout history. Father, it's a gift that you've given us that, that, that you add to this trust that we can have as we apply your word and your precepts today in our life. I thank you that you've granted this prophecy to us. I thank you, Father, that we live in a time and a place in history that we've already seen so many of these prophecies come true. That we have this extra gift to see this, uh, to, to, to bolster our faith, Father. I ask today that you'll help us not only to learn to trust you more, but also learn some things about ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Micah, if you will. We're kind of going backwards for a little bit throughout uh, uh, Scripture. We started with Habakkuk. And we saw that the Babylonians were ultimately going to come in and carry off Judah. That was what all of this, many of these prophecies are leading up to. And so we saw the final picture. Now we're sort of working backwards and seeing the different parts that go into that final picture. Micah, we're going to start in chapter 4, actually starting in verse 10. Why does God give us prophecy? Why does he tell us these things? Why why does he want us to study this? This happened a long time ago. Not only did the prophecy happen a long time ago, but its fulfillment happened a long time ago. So why in the world do we go through prophecy? Are we wasting our time here? Is there something we should know, something we can learn? We can learn about ourselves, yes. The truth is God wants us to be changed. From where you started to what he's building you to become. He doesn't want us just to know facts. If you're here just to know facts, that's great. That's where it starts. 
But that cannot be the culmination of your journey. That cannot be the focal point of your journey. It's not just to know, but it's to be changed by the words of God and to see them come true throughout history. It is to strengthen our faith and to strengthen his testimony. We are being shaped, church, whether you like it or not, we're being shaped into an eternal people. A people that's going to live together. We're going to live together and we're going to live forever. And there's going to be a time, we'll see here in just a minute, that everyone's heart is going to be turned to Jesus. That that's going to be the focal point. Not any type of infighting amongst us, but a focus on Jesus Christ. And right now is the transformation. Right now is the training ground. This is what church is for. This is what being the church is. To be transformed. To keep us from committing the same mistakes of days past. To trust God and trust Him not just for this future life. And frankly, an unknowable life. We know that it is, but we don't know the details. No, it's more than trusting Him in an unknowable future life, but life abundantly right now. And there's an incredible line for you and me and Judah in this prophecy. Jesus talks about this a little bit later on. Micah chapter 4, starting in verse 10. He's already told them. He's already talked to the leaders. He's already talked to the teachers in Judah and said, you guys are screwing up. And because of this, the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to carry you off. Now he's really kind of, his focus is on the people in general. He says this in verse 10, writhe in agony, daughter Zion. Like a woman in labor, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon, and there you will be rescued. Discipline. Discipline. He wants to correct their hearts. He was building them into the nation he wants them to be. The people he created them to be. You don't even know you yet. You think you know you. You haven't even met you yet. We are being built into this incredible, perfected creation. And this is all a part of it. And so he's disciplining a nation of people that he loves. You ever gone through discipline? Discipline from God. Are you going through it now? You might be. Are your eyes open to it? Are you walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Is God disciplining you in your life to refine you, to build you, to strengthen you? And if he doesn't, you're in a bad spot. You better hope God disciplines you throughout your life. Why? Because scripture tells us God disciplines those he what? Loves. God disciplines those he loves. And we better be paying attention to this discipline. And if you're going through discipline in your life, are you asking the right questions? How did I get here? What is my response? What can I learn from this discipline? And you know what? Frankly, I think there's a fourth question. How can I help others? through the discipline or the struggle or the hardship or the chastisement that God is putting me through in this moment, this time of my life. We think of discipline as a bad thing. Discipline is never a bad thing. God doesn't hate Judah. And if you're going through discipline right now, he doesn't hate you. It's quite the opposite. I've had to discipline Sam before. You've had to discipline your kids before. 
You do it because they're doing something in their life that hurts themselves. And you know it. And you can see it. It's the same thing God does for you and me, for you and me. It's the same thing God's doing to Judah right here. He says, you're going to writhe in agony for a while. You're going to be carried off from your homeland. This is severe. Imagine if this happened to you. Imagine if, if this happened to us. That's just about as bad as it gets. Pretty close anyway. He says, but you will be rescued out of Babylon. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. I love verse 12. But they, they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan. That he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze, and I will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. They don't know God's plan. But he's going to reveal God's plan. He's going to reveal his, his own business to the people of Judah. The same thing he does for you and me. He reveals himself to you. He reveals his business to you. He does it through his word. Matter of fact, again, going back to the words of Christ, a servant doesn't know his master's business. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And I'm going to reveal to you the master's business. You see, we get to partake in this same thing, a revelation of the nature of God, the character of God, the workings of God, the promises of God that come through or, and, and come true throughout the ages. There's going to be a time of discipline, but God is going to rescue them eventually from the Babylonians, rescue them from that discipline. Well, we're just going to resort to that. Why go through the whole thing to begin with? I mean, he tells them at the very beginning that you're going to be rescued. He tells them at the very beginning that this is not going to be forever. Why go through all of this? I mean, we're going to have redemption. We're going to have bringing back. Again, going back to our original thought, because I want you, the heart of you, the core of you, to be transformed into the creation that you were meant to be. They don't know. They don't know the plans of the Lord. The other people, those who don't know Jesus, don't understand this plan. But you do, and you do for a reason. What does Jesus say again? That you are friends, and a friend knows his father's business. That's in John chapter 15. You see, this is what the king of everything is after with you. He's after a transformation of the life because life now is not futile. I hope you're not just putting in the time to wait for heaven. That's a wasted life. Wait a minute, you're telling me that if I'm just going through the motions, but yes, one day I will live eternally with God, you tell me that's a wasted life? Yep. Because the kingdom of God's here now. The transformation opportunity is here now. The challenges in your life are here, right now. Not tomorrow, not 100 years from now, not when eternity starts. 
but God wanting this type of communication, letting you know his business about the redemption of Christ now. We wait. How long are we going to put it off, right? How long, we get, how long did Judah put it off? Judah put it off long enough so that God disciplined them, separated them from their land for a time. We are heading towards a great day where those who honor God will themselves be honored. Yes. There will be no more anger. There will be no more hatred and confusion and pride and fear and selfishness, all these things. And here, here, sandwiched among the judgment is good news. I want to back up just a little bit. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> this is a pronouncement of something that's going to happen. This is hope in the midst of judgment. This is the Father revealing his business to Judah and revealing his business to you and me. Listen now. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach you his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is, this is the master's business. Listen now. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will anyone train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree. What, what, what are we talking about there? That's, that's abundance. That's abundance. Under their own vine, their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Verse 6, in that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away, uh, uh, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion. From that day and forevermore. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Through Jesus Christ himself, the eternal king. That sounds like a pretty good life. That sounds like an incredible gift. That sounds like what we are being built for transformed for the more and more of this selfish pride that we surrender to Jesus to prepare us for this eternal kingdom that starts right now and now not only do we see what's going to happen but in this same prophecy of hope remember in the midst of discipline he starts this prophecy in Micah with discipline he's going to finish this prophecy in Micah with discipline but sandwiched right in the middle is this reminder of hope, this reminder of this eternal blessed day. Now he actually talks about the man himself, Micah chapter 5, 1 through 4. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. 
They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem of Ephraim, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the day when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is prophesied about Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And yet it came to pass. Church, there are multiple directions. There are multiple commands, directives, I should say. Multiple commands in Scripture. There are desires for obedience. There are promises from God talking to you directly to the transformation of your life. In every time we read about these prophecies, we see that they come to pass throughout time and throughout history. Do not doubt the commands of God in your life for transformation. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time. We don't do that enough because we don't believe him. To humble ourselves before Jesus. We read these prophecies to know that Jesus' words come true, that God's words come true. All of this is wonderful news sandwiched in the middle of two sections of judgment. Wonderful news. It has taken place, it is taking place, and it will take place. Everything the Lord has told us, what the prophets have said from the very beginning of our study until now, everything they've described has come to pass. There will be one day a lasting peace. There will be life abundant. Jesus does usher in the kingdom of God, and he is fully aware of the current day. He is fully aware of the perseverance that he commands you integrate into your life so that you go through to see the day of no more sorrows, so that you go through to see the day of no more want or no more greed or no more animosity. We have seen the promised ruler of Bethlehem that the prophet talks about. What's our job? Keep going. Keep going. Keep trusting. You have a problem with trusting the commands of Jesus Christ? Read the prophecies. You know, we can actually date these. Compare them to history. We know that God's word is true. We know that it comes to pass. We have seen the promised ruler. We look at history. See this clear out to the end. Everything he says he means in your life may look difficult right now. You may be going through discipline right now. But sandwiched in the middle of that, he is giving his people hope in the midst of hardship and danger and destruction and discipline so that we are without excuse. So that, look, God gives the promise of the coming Messiah that we've already seen. He gives us the problem of the kingdom of God which we have already entered into. He gives us a promise of a time to come when all of this will be seen for what it is. God's plan to gather his people back to an everlasting peace and joy. But in the meantime, and again now he's addressing the people, he's addressing you, he's addressing me. 
He's already addressed the leaders and the, and the, and the teachers. In the meantime, says God, I'm not just going to turn a blind eye to evil and deceit in your life either. I'm not just going to turn a blind eye to the evil and deceit in the nation of Judah or Israel. In fact, he makes the people stand before him even after this moment of reminding him his business and reminding him how much he loves him. Now he makes this people stand before him almost like a, like a courtroom scene before the judge. Micah chapter 6, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. You can see this is a courtroom scene. What God's about to say to Judah, we can ask ourselves when it comes to the temptation to disobey. Look at verse 3. My people, what have I done to you when we're tempted to disobey, when we're tempted to forget about the promises of God, not believe the promises of God? When we're tempted to be filled with pride or anger, when we're tempted to be filled with animosity towards people that God loves, God looks at his people who are disregarding his word, even though we know that he's going to save us. He looks at those same people. He looks at you and me. He says, what have I done to hurt you? I haven't done anything to bring you harm, to do you harm. Yes, I've pushed you. Yes, I've challenged you. Yes, I want you to grow into the character of Christ. If you see these things as bad things, then following Jesus is not for you. These are good things. He does the same thing to the nation of Israel to refine them by his very law. He says, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. Look, I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I said, did he not do the same to us? Did he not bring us out of a land of bondage to sin and death into the promised land? What is the promised land, the kingdom of God? When does the kingdom of God start right now? Has he not done the same? Read the Exodus story, church. If you haven't, read the Exodus story. I want you to read the Exodus story beginning to end with the mentality of this is the saga of the human life in story form. Bringing you from bondage through the wilderness to the promised land and a whole lot of discipline in between. And God never given up. You got to read the ex It's there for a reason. Read it. He says, I brought you out of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. I sent Aaron, Aaron Miriam, my people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted to what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you know the righteous acts of the Lord. Do we forget? Do we forget the righteous acts of the Lord when it comes to our refinement, when it comes to our trust of who he is and what he has said, the application of his word in our life? Do we forget how good God is when we're tempted to disobey and disregard his word, not to be transformed and refined? He has shared with us his business. 
Do we treat that? Do we scoff at that and treat it with scorn? Do we forget the righteous acts of the Lord when we disobey, when we rebel? God's making a point. He's making it right here. You turn your back on me. You forget about me. You ignore me. You disobey me. You hate to be associated with the righteous decrees. And never once have I burdened you. You know, when Balak, he's talking about it. When Balak wanted to destroy you, Balaam sent to him and pronounced a blessing on you. That's what we're talking about. That's what he's talking about. The world wanted to destroy you, my love, my people, my children. And what did the prophet do? He came and he blessed you. What have I done to hurt you? Shittim and Gilgal represent the crossing of the River Jordan into the promised land. When we forget to see how fortunate we are as God's children, we begin taking his love for granted. And everything begins to center around our own lives and our own priorities. Even though we have a God that loves us so much that he has revealed to us in his word, his business. We know the beginning, we know the middle, and we know the end. God doesn't have to do any of that for us. Any of it. And yet, because of his incredible love. And by the way, it's not even a trade, is it? I told you this, therefore you have to do this. No, God says, I'm going to save you through my son. By the way, in the process, I'm going to give you one more gift, which is I'm going to transform you and refine you and challenge you and strengthen you along the way. That's the opportunity that Judah had. That's the opportunity that the people in the wilderness had. That's the opportunity you and I have. That's the gift we have. We look at it, we think it's a negative because it can be difficult at times. But it's a transformation of the very life. We looked at their appeasement efforts last week, or two weeks ago, in 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They want to purchase indulgence this year. Yes, God, I realize you're good. Let me drop a few more bucks in the offering plate and let me live the way I want. Right? God says it's not about that. It's not about that, Christian. It's not about that, Judah. It's about transforming you, giving you a gift into the perfection that I have made. They want to purchase indulgences. Again, we already looked at that last week. God says, here's what I want. I want justice. I want mercy. I want to change heart. That's what I want. That's what I want. And it's good for you. Continuing on to chapter 7, we're jumping to the end of this. What misery is mine? This is Micah speaking. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. He's lamenting. He's lamenting over the downfall of this people. Just like you who have been given the opportunity to dedicate their entire existence to the God of heaven and earth. 
and he's sad because of it, because they've rejected this. They've given up. They've wasted it. Wasted it. And yet, the Father's business is even laid out before them. The faithful have been swept away from the land in verse 2. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood, to hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gift. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them, the best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm, now is the time of your confusion. Look at verse 7. Be this God. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. But the whole world around me is falling apart. Micah says, I'm not there. I'm going to wait on Jesus Christ. I'm going to hope in Jesus Christ. I'm going to transfer my life, give my life completely over. Because I know the business of the Father. I know the end of the story. Church, you know the end of the story. Stop holding on to the remnant of what's left of your heart, your mind, your pride. It's easy for me to say when I'm standing up here, right? I mean, I had that line written down. A lot harder to do, isn't it? It's hard to humble ourselves. But I'm telling you, you read back throughout history and you look at these prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, and sure enough, come true, comes to pass, comes true, comes to pass. You have to look at the commands of Jesus and trust what he says. Trust that he means it. And trust that you, just like Judah, are being refined into perfection. Now's the time. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. When God reveals to you the end of the story, don't miss it. Because it's an incredible gift given to you and given to me. Ultimately, we find this in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 7. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Isn't that cool? It just gives me goosebumps. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. He says, look, I have sinned against him, and I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and he upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Church, that's you. You understand that? That's you. Especially if you're going through discipline right now in your life or when you go through discipline tomorrow or next month or next year. Even Judah, even Micah realizes this. I'm going to bear the Lord's correction because I've sinned, but I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Because the Lord has revealed to me his very business. And I know the end of the story. I don't know what your life is like. I don't, I don't know every problem, every issue. I, I know a lot. I know some. And 
Sometimes we walk through them together. Sometimes we find answers readily available. Sometimes we don't. But you might be going through something right now that is discipline from God. Remember, if you think discipline from God and anger from God or hatred from God is the same thing, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. Discipline from God is something that transforms you and something we yield to. Something we are made new by and corrected by. Our job is to understand, to realize, to see, to recall to memory knowledge of the Father's business throughout time and to realize that He's done nothing to us. He's done everything for us. And even in this discipline, to correct this heart, this mentality, our actions, even that is something he's doing for us, not against us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we get to see you come through all the time, that we can reflect back on our own lives and, 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 and see your, your, your justice, see your, your discipline, see your love, see your incredible patience, Father. We thank you that we get the chance also to see and know your business, to, to, to see the Savior, to know the end. That all of this is a refinement, a building up of the people that you love, the creation that you love, those you call your children. Father, help us to see that as we leave this place, as we engage in the next problem, the next challenge, the next relationship the next time we open your word to know that you care about us so much that you're putting this into us to perfect us father we don't want to be like judah we don't want to get to the place where we don't recognize these things where it's too late we want to be taught in the middle of it we want to gain the wisdom and the humility that is needed in order to fully know who you are and fully embrace what jesus is in our lives Thank you, Father, for this incredible gift of these prophecies and the incredible gift of being on this part of history to where we get to look back and see it. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Time is 
your voices how great and how great is our God sing with me how great is our God don't see how great how great is our God well Micah was trying to get the message across to Judah, and so was Habakkuk. You know, these things were happening before the discipline came. These, these, these pronouncements, these, uh, hey, hey, be aware of this. Someone came to open their eyes, and they didn't open their eyes to it. They didn't heed this type of instruction. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring as far as discipline goes in your life, but I do know that we have the opportunity right now to make sure that we follow Jesus in all that we do and everything we do. Next week, we look at Obadiah. We're going to skip over Jonah briefly. We're going to look at Obadiah. Obadiah looks at the nation that picks on God's kids. And it's the only prophecy we find that leaves no room for hope. That leaves no room for hope. Those who hate the children of God. It's an interesting prophecy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, Father, that you've granted us this incredible special gift right here, right now. To take this moment, this day, this service, this morning, open our eyes to whether or not we humble ourselves before you. Whether or not we thank you for revealing to us your business, your, your, your history, and also days to come. We acknowledge what a special gift that is, Father, and we acknowledge that right now is a gift, that we get to remember this, that we get to heed instruction and discipline. We also know, Father, that if it happens and when it comes, you discipline those you love. Help us to respond in the manner that you wish that we would. In Jesus' name, amen. to do this. It's been a roller coaster past couple months. Am I the only one that's noticed this? I mean, just with practically everybody you know at some point is under the weather on something, you know? It's just the way it goes. Fortunately for us, last week we had, I thought, a great lesson, incredible lesson. One that we need to Remember, we need to be reminded of often, and that is the incredible gifts that God grants us uh, built into each and every one of us. And this is true. Absolutely, it's true. Um, and I certainly appreciate Ben teaching that. Um, I don't have a lunch for you today. I don't have a lunch packed for you. We can feast on other things, though, today. We can feast on, uh, we can feast on the Word today. But I certainly, uh, I do appreciate that. Appreciate that. Honestly, by Sunday, I felt pretty good, <coughs> but on Saturday night when you're under the weather, you really can't take that risk. You got to figure out what to do the next day. So, called somebody, and then somebody else, 
Got somewhere down at the bottom of the list. <laughs> we, uh, we've been going through the prophets, the minor prophets, and we'll continue to do this for a while um, until we get to our Thanksgiving season and ultimately into our Christmas season. We're doing this for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is a part of the Word of God, and sometimes we forget uh, to study some areas. Uh, you know, we like to be in the New Testament because we are the New Testament church. We live in the New Testament age, and we spend a lot of time in the New Testament. It's, it's fun talking about Jesus. It's more fun talking about Jesus than it is talking about the coming of Jesus. We, we, we like the fact that he's here. We get to experience that and take part in that. So we spend a lot of time in the New Testament, uh, letters to churches, but... I want us to realize that as we go through so many of these prophecies that they've already come to pass. And so we are here to bolster our faith, to build even further our trust in the word of God, because we live on a side of history that has already seen these things come to pass. I mean, that's an incredible gift that we've been given. Not only that, I, I also hope that by going through the Minor Prophets, you and I have a better picture of what the Bible looks like. We have a better picture of who they are and, and, and where they prophesied and why they prophesied. You know, next week, we're going to go through Obadiah. Obadiah is one chapter, and it's a, it's a short prophecy, but it's very, very important. We get to see who he's talking to. If you're anything like me, when you have a better picture of things uh, or of a grander picture of things, then everything in Scripture begins to make a little bit more sense. When I was in school, we had a, uh, one professor, Professor Mack. Um, you probably, I don't know if you know Professor Mack. Um, I don't know if he was there when you were there. But he was an Old Testament history teacher, and he had us color. That's what we did, color. We, we colored. I mean, I could be doing this, Sam could be doing this. I mean, we colored. And for 10 weeks, at least once a week, we would color maps, and they would overlay on themselves. And of course, we rolled our eyes when he said he wanted us to color maps, and he says, yeah, I get it. He said, but this will be one of the most important things that you will do. And years later, he's absolutely right. It's, it's much easier for me to read through scripture and see in my mind what's happening and where it's happening uh, the, the different people you read about, where their kingdoms are, and how they're moving throughout time and history. And it makes the whole thing easier to understand. It makes all of Scripture easier to understand. And not only does it make it easier to understand, it makes the point of it easier to understand, watching God work throughout time and history. So that's one of the reasons that benefits us when we go through the minor prophets. Some of these prophecies and these people that we, we rarely read <coughs> or sometimes we forget to read. Because I said so. You ever get that one? Yep, yeah, yeah. Because I said so. I got that a lot growing up. Because I said so. Um, at least I got it a lot when I was younger. You know, because I said so. I'm not totally sure I agree with that, all right, just for your information. Uh, but that's what I got a lot growing up, because I said so. Uh, what, what, do we say, what does it mean? When parents say that, 
nine times out of ten, when they say that, they mean this. Either, come on, we're all adults here. Either I'm really not sure why we're doing this, right? But I'm pretty sure this is what we need to be doing. Okay? Now, that happens sometimes, right? But usually it is, look, I have an explanation, but you're not able to comprehend it right now. Okay, I could sit here and explain the whole thing to you, but it's going to go over your head. Or maybe you're not old enough to understand it. Or maybe it's not the right time in your life to be, have to grapple with some of these things. I mean, that's really what we're saying. It's very closely related to, I'll tell you when you're older. I mean, it, you know, very closely related to that. But I got a lot of that growing up. You know, and there are times when God tells us the same thing. He tells us, he says, look, it, this is not for you to know. Your job is to obey. Your job is to trust. But your job is not to understand <coughs> and see or at least be, have this, this whole picture revealed to you. I think one of the best examples of that is when the disciples asked Jesus about, about the, the, uh, the coming of Christ. The, uh, they talked about the restoration of the kingdom. You know, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? They asked him twice. And both times, Jesus says, it's not for you to know. Now, I'll tell you later, or I'll tell you when you're older, or whatever it is. It's not for you to know. It's interesting, the first time that they ask him, he says, it's not for any of us to know. The Father knows that, nobody else does. Second time they ask him is after the resurrection. And he says, it's not for you to know. In other words, I know, <laughs> but it's not for you to know. Uh, we get that a lot throughout Scripture. But there are other times when God reveals exactly what he's going to do. In fact, if we look at our lives or the lives of just humanity in general throughout history, as we see the New Testament age, as we see things that are happening in the Old Testament, we see the New Testament age, ultimately we see the fruition of the kingdom of God we see God revealing his business to us all the time. The master's business all the time. Which is a very special thing. Because Jesus himself tells us, look, a servant doesn't know his master's business. A servant doesn't know. But a friend does. A friend knows his master's business. Matter of fact, Jesus gives the disciples the title of servant, title of friend. He gives them one more title that we're going to look at. Well, not until March of next year, so don't worry about that. But there's, a, there's another title he gives them that's, that's actually very neat. But he reveals his, his I, I want to say plan, I wanna, it's his vision of humanity and this saving grace through Jesus Christ. Not only does he reveal it to you and me, but he ends up revealing it to Judah today, even while he's pronouncing judgment on them discipline on them. At the same time, he reveals to them wonderful things that are going to happen. They get to know their master's business. You get to know your master's business. That's a special place and a special calling. That's a special relationship you have between yourself and God. It's wonderful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gifts that you give us, this gift particularly today, that we get to see your prophecies, that we get to see, again, these things that have already happened. 
Now we get to trust you even more. We, we get to see your business played out throughout history, that you would deign to do that for us, Father, as a gift. We thank you, Father. We ask that we are challenged today, that we are changed. Father, that we reflect upon our own life and also how you treat your loved ones of Judah. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Micah. Now, we started Micah a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to finish up Micah today. There's a lot that's in there, and so I encourage you to read it yourself and ask questions about it. But two weeks ago, we started Micah, took a break last week, and we finish up, we finish up Micah today. Why does God tell us these things in prophecy? Why does he reveal this stuff to us? Why do we take the time to do it? It is to be changed. It is for you to be changed and me to be changed. Not just to know information. Not just to realize that these things have happened, but to be changed by them. The Word of God is the Word of God for a reason. Commanded for us to study and integrate into our lives for a reason. And that's to change us from what we are to what we might become. This perfection in Jesus Christ. It is to strengthen our faith and strengthen, by the way, His testimony. God's testimony about who He is what he cares about, what he does, what he says. It shapes us into an eternal people because that's what you're becoming, an eternal people. The, the kingdom of God, church, we've said this a hundred times, I'm going to say it again, the kingdom of God is not something that's going to happen in the future. If you think that's the case, then you are going to waste your life. Don't waste it. The kingdom of God is something that's happening right now in your life. It is alive, it's active, it's moving, it exists, and you're a part of it. So you can live that out. You can be changed and refined in the process, and at the same time, use your life to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. Your purpose, bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of life right there. Look at that. Not even 1145. We've accomplished the purpose of life. To use your life to honor your Creator. Okay? And the kingdom of God is happening now. And so we are being shaped into an eternal people, and we use the prophecies to do this. We also read so that we do not commit the same mistakes as a group, corporately, as this church, but also individually. So that we can trust God, and again, to know real life now, and know it abundantly. So there's this incredible line that God has for Judah. Micah is prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, there's two kingdoms at this point. There's a northern kingdom of Israel that encompasses 10 tribes. Then a southern kingdom of Judah that encompasses two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. But when you're talking about the Israelites, you talk about the whole, the whole area if you want to. Both, both groups. All of these people are Hebrews. Micah chapter 4, Micah's talking to the southern kingdom of Judah. He says this as he's talking to Judah. Writhe in agony, daughter Zion. Well, this is not going well, okay? You're going to start there. I don't know what happens. I don't know what follows, but it's not going to be good. Writhe in agony, <coughs> daughter Zion, like a woman in labor, labor, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon, and there you will be rescued. You'll go to Babylon, and there you'll be rescued. This is discipline. Discipline of a group of people who acknowledge the one true God of creation. 
Have you ever gone through discipline? I've gone through discipline. What about now? Are you going through discipline now? You see, you might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death now. And you have to ask yourself if you're going to respond in the proper way because you did not respond in the proper way to discipline. They went through discipline after dis discipline. They went through prophet after prophet, herald after herald, reminding them to honor God, the law of God in their life. And they refused to do it. You might be going through discipline now. And if you haven't gone through the discipline of God in your life, I pity you. You're in a bad state. Because while we don't enjoy discipline, God disciplines those he, what? Loves. He disciplines those he loves. And the medicine never tastes good, does it? He disciplines those he loves. So if you're going through discipline, and if you're not, you may tomorrow. You may a year from now. You have to ask, your, it's, 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 it's the trial, it's the struggle. In fact, you may be going through a difficult time in your life right now that God has said before in your life you're going to go through something hard because you're not listening to what I tell you. You're not surrendering your heart to me. You're not filling your life with love and humility. And right now we're in the discipline stage. Are we responding in the correct way? Number one, how did I get here? Number two, what lesson am I to learn Number three, based upon those two, what is my proper response? And frankly, number four, you can kick a fourth one in there. What can I use to help others, to teach others through something like this? Discipline we see as a bad thing. But time and time and time throughout Scripture, we realize that discipline is from God towards those he loves. In other words, it's from God towards those who God says, you're not beyond hope yet. You're not beyond hope yet. Next week, we're going to look at Obadiah. We're going to skip over Jonah temporarily, okay? And we're going to look at Obadiah. Obadiah prophesies to, the, to a southern kingdom of Edom, and it's the only prophecy we find that has no extra prophecy or extra promise of hope in it. It's, it's well, we'll get there next week. We'll get there next week. But here, we find that God is disciplining people in a very harsh way because he doesn't want to leave them. He doesn't want to throw them away. He loves them and cares about them. You're going to be rescued from Babylon. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But right now, in verse 11, but now, many nations are gathered against you. Right now, they say, let her be defiled. Let her eyes gloat over Zion. That's Israel. But they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan. That he's gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. I am showing you, revealing to you, the master's business, the master's plan. But those who do not care, do not honor the one God of creation, they don't know all this stuff's going on. They don't know the master's business. While you're in discipline in your life or your home, you can take comfort in the fact that you know the master's business. 
The master's business is discipline because I love you, ultimate salvation because of Jesus Christ. No matter what you're going through, now you have a response to it, the same thing Judah had. Judah needed to shape up and respond to the discipline, just like you. You have a chance to. Judah, Judah squandered their chance, and now they were going to go through hardship. Now they were going to go through struggle. But they will be restored, which begs the question. If they're going to be restored, if they're going to be redeemed, if they're going to be brought back, why go through all of this stuff anyway? Or at least, why tell us that you're going to go through all of this stuff? Well, first of all, the master wants to share his business with those he loves. But primarily because he wants you, the heart of you, the core of who and what you are, to be transformed into the creation you were always meant to be. Those who do not honor him do not know or care what the Lord is doing. They don't understand his plan, but you do. You do. Judah does, and so do you. And we are called to respond to that. You know it for a reason. Again, Jesus talking to his disciples in John chapter 15, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Here is the father making known to Judah through the prophecy. That is friendship. That's love. This is what the king of everything wants for you and me, to know his business and respond to it in the proper way. And because, because why? Because life is not futile. Everything you do today means something. The decision you make tomorrow means something. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not something that's going to happen in the future. When is it? Right now. Don't waste your life. Wait a minute, are you really telling me that I could die and go to heaven and you're still going to call this part of life wasted? Yep. Yep. If you don't understand the kingdom of God is now and you're disciplined now and you're being transformed now, why? Because God loves you. Consider yourselves the blessed few because unfortunately heaven's not going to be a crowded place. But you're going to be there. You're going to be there if you give your life to Jesus. We are headed towards a great day where those who honor God will themselves be honored. But there's a journey in the process, and it's happening right now. The kingdom is happening now. There's going to be time when there will be no more anger and hatred and confusion and pride and fear and selfishness. And here... In the middle of this judgment that's pronounced upon Judah, in the middle of discipline that might be pronounced upon you right now, or tomorrow, or a year from now, in the middle of it, I want to back up just a little bit, sandwiched in the middle of this judgment is incredible news. Micah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and the last days, <coughs> the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills. And peoples will stream to it. This is for you, church. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. What an incredible judge. Wouldn't that be great? 
They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Sounds like a good place to be. That sounds like a good place to be, and it's beginning now. Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree. What is that? That's provision in abundance. That's what that is. Their own vine, their own fig tree. You're not going to have to hem and haul around about who's got more stuff. Their own vine, their own faith. No one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those who I have brought to and those I have brought to grief, that is the discipline. I will make the lame my remnant. Those driven away by a strong nation, the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. The picture of the kingdom coming to fruition that is here and now. Not only do we see what will happen, but God gives a description of this ruler himself. I told you he's going to share with you his business. The master shares with you, the master shares with Judah his business. Marshal your troops in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against them. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Ephraim, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And church, this prophecy, this promise by God was made hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, and we know it happened, don't we? When God gives you his word, when he gives a promise, when he gives a command, when he says, humble, your th humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time, he means it. We've just got to believe him. And it's a beautiful kingdom, and it's a wonderful kingdom. And in the meantime, you're going to be disciplined on the way there because you're loved. What Tommy say? What did you say, Tommy? You were talking about something. And I wrote it down. I don't know. I think it was today. We were talking about 1 Corinthians. We talking about Paul. He was talking about judgment. He was talking about the things God does. This, this sometimes even fall asleep. Maybe I just read ahead. I don't remember. I was listening and reading at the same time. This judgment that comes, this discipline that comes, so that we might not be lost forever. We even have that in the New Testament. Watching over you, caring for you, caring for me through discipline. And God reveals his plan to you and me. All of this, this is wonderful news. All of this has and is and will take place. 
everything the Lord has told us, everything his prophets have described for us has come to pass. We need to know this so that we believe that everything he says will happen will indeed happen, that there will be a lasting peace, that there will be life abundant, that Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God and is fully aware of the current day in your life. He's fully aware of the perseverance that you go through. And he's fully aware of the sorrows that you go through. He also realizes there's going to be a day where there's no more sorrows, no more want, no more greed, no more animosity. We have seen the promised ruler from Bethlehem. Our job, keep going. Keep going, especially on the days of discipline. Look at history. See this clear to the end. Everything he says comes to pass, and everything he says he means. In your life, your life might look difficult right now. Trust me, it, over the past few weeks and months, there's been a lot of difficulty in a lot of people's lives. And I'm not talking about physical illness. I'm talking about spiritual illness. I'm talking about emotional illness. Your life might, be, might look difficult right now. But he gives hope in the midst of hardship. He gives hope in the midst, midst of danger and destruction and he gives hope in the midst of discipline. We are without excuse to honor our king and realize that he has saved us. So, God gives us the promise of the coming Messiah, which we've already seen. He gives us the promise of the kingdom of God, which we've already entered into. He gives us the promise of a time to come when all of this will be seen for what it is. God's plan to gather his people back to an everlasting peace and joy. But in the meantime... And now he talks to the people. He's already addressed the teachers in Micah. He's already addressed the rulers in Micah. Now he kind of addresses the rest of the people here in chapter 6. In the meantime, he says, I'm not just going to turn a blind eye to evil and deceit. Yes, there is salvation. But in the meantime, you're going to be disciplined, and I want you to obey my commands, my precepts, because it is good for you. I'm not just going to turn a blind eye to sin. In fact, he makes the people stand before him like a defendant in a courtroom. Look at chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. So he's had judgment and discipline, now hope and restoration, and now some more judgment and discipline. Driving home the fact that obedience to his precepts, obedience to the law, and a changed heart is important to him. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the, Lord, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. Again, obviously a courtroom scene. What God is about to say to Judah, we need to ask ourselves when it comes to temptation to disobey in our own lives. Look at what he says. Verse 3, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you in any way? Well, I'll tell you this. Let that roll around in your head when it comes to the temptation to dishonor God, the temptation to disobey, the temptation to live your own way instead of what God has laid out for us to be refined and perfected. God looks at the people he loves and he says, what have I ever done to you? Why are you doing this? I've never burdened you in any way. Look what he says. Answer me. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. And is that not what he's done for you? If you've accepted the truth of Jesus, he's taken you out of slavery and bondage to sin and death. 
Not everybody is out of bondage to sin and death. But if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ because of his traversing to the cross, he's taken you out of a land of slavery. And he's taken you to the promised land already. What I say, the kingdom of God happens now. You're already there. Read the Exodus story. Here's what, read the Exodus story, beginning to end. And from the perspective of this is the saga of the human life. That's why it's there, church. From slavery and bondage, through the wilderness, to the promised land, raising up leaders as we go, and discipline in the middle. A stiff-necked people. But never once does God give up. Never once does he walk out. That's why it's referenced throughout all of Scripture, the Exodus story. He says, what have I done to you? He said, I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. By the way, do we forget the righteous acts of the Lord? Because I guarantee you, he's acted righteously in your life. He's acted righteously in my life. When I forget the righteous acts of the Lord, that's because I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about myself, right? Matter of fact, when I forget the righteous acts of the Lord, I'm not just not thinking about Jesus. I'm not thinking about you, and I'm thinking about myself. What does God want? He wants mercy, justice, love. This is the response to the discipline that he may have in your life. We know the story. We know his business. We know what he wants. We know the plan. We know the end, which is really the beginning. We know it all because he gives it to us. He loves us, and he shares his business with us. Don't forget the righteous acts of the Lord in your life when we disobey, when we rebel. That's the point God's trying to make here. He says, you turn your back on me, you forget about me, you ignore me, you disobey me. You hate to be associated with my righteous decrees. What have I ever done to burden you? The, the stories they're talking about when Balak wanted to destroy the people, Balaam the prophet went to them and actually pronounced a blessing on them. Now Balaam did some other bad stuff, but he pronounced a blessing on them because God said, I wanted to bless you regardless of what this king wants to do. Shittim and Gilgal represent the crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land. When we forget to see how fortunate we are as God's children, this revelation he gives to us, this sharing of his business he does for us, we begin to look only at ourselves. We take his love and his kindness for granted. Everything begins to center around our own lives and our own priorities, and that is precisely what's happening in Judah. And what happens in Judah, they get destroyed because of it. They did not heed the warning up to the point of the discipline. Prophet after prophet after prophet came to them. Teacher after teacher, preacher after preacher, word after word, chapter after chapter came. Six through seven. With what shall I come before the Lord? We, we looked at this last week. Appeasement efforts, right? What, what do you want? I don't want this to happen. What do you want? He wants to bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? How, what can I do? How can I purchase some indulgences so that I can actually live just the way I want to live? What if I drop some more money in the plate? Can I just do it that way? All right? 
Don't try that. What does God say? We looked at this last week in verse 8. He simply says, look, I want a changed heart. I want mercy. I want justice. I want love from you. You want to respond to the discipline? You want to respond to the discipline? I want a changed heart. I don't care about all your other stuff, he says. I want a changed heart. That's the approach to discipline in your life. When you are revealed the whole picture of the master, how can he show his love any more than that? You're revealed from the very beginning to the very end his course of humanity, his salvation from Christ. He disciplines you in the process. What is your response? A changed heart that honors Jesus and shows love to other people. Don't overcomplicate this. That's what he wants. That's what he wanted in Judah. That's what he wanted in Israel. But none of them did it. The northern tribes, wiped out. Never to exist again. He has a little bit more patience with the southern tribes because of his promise that said he would never wipe them out completely. Then finally, Micah laments over the wrath of his people, over their calloused hearts. Chapter 7, what misery is mine? This is Micah speaking. I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The rulers demand gifts. The judges accept bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The very best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. I love verse 7 though. Verse 7, be this man, this is Micah. But as for me, regardless of the destruction around me, regardless of what happens, as for me, I will watch in hope for the Lord. I will watch in hope for the Lord. I will wait for God, my Savior, and my God will hear me. My God will hear me. This is about personal transformation. All of these things are. We, we get, we, we'll, get too, we'll get too off topic. We'll miss the point. If we think all of these prophecies are about some grander culture. They're about personal transformation. All of them are. And finally, we're left with hope. You and I can say the same thing. You and I can be assured of our eternal life with Jesus. Verses 8 and 9. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Well, that gives me goosebumps right there. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Look at this, look at this acceptance right here. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. That's what Jesus does for you and me. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. That's your life church. 
That's your life. When you accept the truth of Christ, why? Because you've already seen the master's plan. You know that it is. He's already told it to you. He reveals it to you because you're not some stranger. You're a friend. You're family. And so he reveals his business to you. And we know that Jesus takes up our cause, that he holds, upholds your case. We go through discipline. We go through refinement just like Judah does, and you're going to go through it either today or tomorrow or a year from now or five years from now. But God disciplines those he loves. Guys, if you're in the middle of a lesson learned, look back on Israel. Guys, read the prophecies. Look back on Judah. Learn the lesson to heed the instruction of God, the refinement of God, the transformation and perfection of God. Because the kingdom of God, it's happening now. And if you keep going without the instruction, without the discipline, if you know the master's plan and you don't care about it, you're going to miss out on the kingdom of God. Don't go another day with missing out on the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've challenged us. We thank you, Father, that, that I come away from this a little humbled. Um, that there are so many times, Father, that we put ourselves before what you want, even though you created us, even though you built us, even though we're here to glorify you, to honor you. How many times do I put myself before you? Father, I ask that you'll give me courage and understanding and discernment as I go through discipline. And Father, I ask that you do not hold, withhold your discipline from me. I know that that is a dangerous thing to ask. But I also know you love me. And I want to be changed. I want to be changed into who I'm supposed to be. I thank you, Father, for this incredible prophecy and these lessons learned. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing.
your voices. How great. And how great 
master's business it's laid out before you in scripture we talk about it all the time I, he didn't have to reveal it but he did and he revealed it to you because he loves you he revealed it to you because he wants everyone saved forever that's why you know it but he also wants what is best for you which is to obey his precepts obey his commands he knows tomorrow you and I don't and so in that process, if he loves you, he's probably going to discipline you a little bit, isn't he? Right? And so let's respond to that discipline in that same type of love. Let's be refined by it. Let's be changed by it to become this perfected person. Guys, you haven't even met you yet. You don't even know you yet, right? You haven't even met the full you yet. Paul says we see but a shadow of the real thing at this point. We are being changed and refined. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you for the love of Christ shown on the cross. We also thank you for the love of Christ shown throughout your word. The fact that you reveal it to us. The fact that we get to know a, a part of your mind, your heart, your character. We know that you want what's best for us and the fact that we have not earned it in any way, this incredible love that you have for your creation. Father, do not withhold your discipline, but help us to respond to discipline even better than Judah did so that we can be refined, so that we can become more and more like Christ to live in your kingdom now. In Jesus' name.